This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Ottawa Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. The 1969 Ford Mustang, pure muscle, unmistakable style, a true classic. Bet you wish you bought one back then. Cars like this only come once in a lifetime. Okay, twice in a lifetime. I designed the Roush Mustang for the true automobile enthusiast. More horsepower, better handling, Smooth styling. My friends at Marlowe Ford have a huge selection of Roush Mustangs and a top-notch customer service staff to put you behind the wheel of a modern-day muscle car. The Roush Mustang, the rebirth of muscle, exclusively at Marlowe Ford in Loray. Call 877-MARLOW2 or visit us online at MarlowFord.com. Roush Performance, we're not just designing, engineering, manufacturing, and assembling the industry's best performance vehicles, parts, and engines. We're creating a way of life. Roush, the art of performance engineering. Hello. Hello. This is Robert Yates, legendary engine builder, car owner. I love listening to nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live in the studio. We're here. And then go to our website, GulfStreamMotorsports.com. Check out our podcast for all our past shows, and do us a favor and like us on Facebook. And uh, let's see. Well, tonight, let's see. we got some radio giveaways. All right. I've got some tickets lined up for Festivals of Speed at the end of the month at the Ritz-Carlton. So the 11th and 13th car will win a set of tickets to Festivals of Speed at the end of the month in Orlando at the Ritz-Carlton. Okay? So that's the radio giveaway for this evening. Okay? Right on cue there, buddy. How you doing, Billy? <laughs> Billy's got to put his headphones on. How you doing there, bud? Hello. You've, you've got Cedric in here tonight. Yeah, we got everybody in here tonight. Because Cedric's a big Jack Roush fan because his dad's a Jack Roush fan. Yeah, that's right. Where's Cedric? Is he hiding around the corner there? At any rate... I'm, I'm, oh, ca- I'm calling Jack Roush now. Uh, no, not until 7.15. Remember, he's very punctual. Cedric said do it now. Do it now? <laughs> 
But anyway, okay. Hey, yeah. Also, run to our website, and you can purchase one of our really cool 1957 Gas or Thunderbird t-shirts, okay? We also have some bumper stickers. The t-shirts are 20 bucks. The bumper stickers are 5 bucks. So run to our website, Gulfstream Motorsports, and put your order in now. All right, it's time for some of the upcoming events. I did mention Festivals of Speed at the end of the month. And then also at the end of the month in Orlando is PRI, Performance Racing Industries. They've got their huge, huge, huge uh, racing, I guess you would say extravaganza. So those of you guys in the racing, whether it's drag racing, round and round racing, road racing, boat racing, and even occasional motorcycle racing, even RC cars show up there from time to time, PRI is where you want to go. So look it up. Google PRI, Performance Racing Industries, and check that out. This weekend in Moultrie, Georgia, probably one of the better swap meets in the South these. This past weekend, we had uh, Zephyr Hills. Okay, matter of fact, last week we had a guest on, Bill Miller, who is part of the Carlisle people that put on the Carlisle events up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Well, they have now taken over the uh, Zephyr Hills, so hopefully they'll start bringing some of those venues down here where they may have an all-Ford show, an all-Chevy show, an all-Corvette show. You know, just an overall huge, huge, huge PR effort to uh, really make this a big venue down here, which will hopefully rival Daytona, okay, the uh, Turkey Rod Run and some of the events that go on over there, because we really need something over here on the uh, west coast but anyway so moultrie has two swap meets a year it's about three and a half four hour drive from here just on the other side of uh, west of valdosta so hop in your car this weekend and uh scurry up there and find your really cool vintage treasures now let's see what else we got oh yeah special thanks to my friends over at forte's inboard and auto connection if you need your inboard boat repaired or your muscle car or your classic Mustang, give Dom a call down there at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection. Their number is 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. They can take care of your car. Matter of fact, they've been working on my cars for the last... She's 25, 30 years, so we're pretty good friends, and I trust them. And also a big shout-out to my friends over at Cop Cars Online. So if you need a security vehicle for any reason, a Crown Vic or a Tahoe or a Magnum or a new Charger cop car, if you're a small law enforcement agency, a security company, or you just want to look like a cop, give the guys at Cop Cars Online a call down there, Mark and John. And their number is 727-536-2677. That's 727-536-2677. Also, one more thing that's taking place, November 17th in Orlando Speed World, a good friend of ours who's been on the show a number of times, and that's Paul Kelly, he pilots the rocket... Uh, uh, jet car, jet choo-choo, the Chattanooga choo-choo, and the Cannonball Express, okay? So that's Casey Jones Racing. Check them out. Google CaseyJonesRacing.com. Team Steam. And uh, they'll be up there in Orlando at the Speed World on the 17th, and it's Nights of Fire. So run up there and uh, say hi to Paul Kelly. You never know. I might be able to get some tickets for that event. I think that's next weekend. But uh, if we do, I will let you know. In the meantime, let's go fire up that first song on the turntable. And we'll be back in a minute. Seven lonely days and a dozen times ago I reached out one night and you were gone Don't know why you'd run, what you're running to or from All I know is I want to bring you home So I'm walking in the rain, thumbing for a ride on this lonely Kentucky back road I've loved you much too long My love's too strong To let you go Never knowing What went wrong 
This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, hey, I just got informed that our friends at KLRG, K-Large in Arkansas, they got us tuned in up there. So that's kind of cool. They're down to 10,000 watts. Normally, it's a 50,000-watt radio station. covers all of Arkansas. So if anybody's out there, give us a call at 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. Tell us what you think of the show. We don't take any on-air calls, but if you do, just tell the board up, Billy, that you said hi. And you're calling in from Little Rock or Hot Springs, Arkansas. Anyway, hey, last weekend we had, we had, what did we do? Oh, I went to Zephyr Hills. I was over there at the car auction and the swap meet. So that was a lot of fun. And let's see, what did I do Saturday? Saturday I was out there doing some PR work at Daytona at the Vintage Races. That was a fairly good turnout. And then Sunday I was at the big show, the big concourse at Winter Park. So it was a fairly exciting weekend. And Bug Jam and Dade City. So anyway, we're going to go to a commercial and then we're going to bring our guest on here in a few minutes. 
If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsport, 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Got a fire in my belly and a fire in my head going higher and higher till I'm dead. Sister Sue is short and stout She didn't grow up, she grew out Mama says she's plain, but she's just being kind Papa thinks she's pretty, but he's almost blind Don't let her out much except at night But I don't care, cause I'm alright Oh, the sun shines bright On my old Kentucky home Gene is big and mean and he don't have much to say He had a little woman who he whooped each day But now she's gone away Got drunk last night, kicked mama down the stairs But I'm alright, so I don't care Oh, the sun shines bright on my old Kentucky home a minute. You're taking a thousand dollars of my money. I'm going to get a chance to win it back. Seems fair enough. How? How about a card game? Bring me a deck of cards. What kind of a card? A simple game. He'll learn fast. Mm -hmm. We won't use a full deck. We'll just use three cards. Here. A little game from Kalamazoo. The black's for me and the red's for you. All you have to do is watch the red card. Now, for a thousand dollars, Trevor, just follow the ace. Chase it. Trace it. See if you can place it. Sweetheart, why don't you pick the card? You've been lucky for me tonight. 
Are you sure you want me to do it? Sure, go ahead. Well, all right. Well, I don't think it's uh, it's this one. And I know it's not uh, this one. So, it must be that one. <laughs> and she must be psychic. <laughs> Come along, sweetheart. We're going to dinner. Good night, Mr. Makalinski. Uh, count this on the way out. Bye-bye. Mm. What did you do with that uh, ace? That's for the wine. If there's anything left over, have your wig dry clean. Okay, listeners, welcome, and you're tuned back into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Now it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And his name is synonymous with winning, particularly in motorsports. He's well-known amongst all the Ford fans. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, Jack Rouse. Jack, are you there? Yes, I am. How's it going? How are you doing? So, did you enjoy this thing? I played a little uh, little something there that you uh, enjoyed. Yeah, I'm going to have to get out both uh, the renditions of Sting, the Jackie Gleason and the, and the Paul Newman uh, movie. Both are two of my favorites. That's super. That's great. So, you're up in North Carolina right now, right? Yeah, I'm getting ready to climb in my airplane and go to uh, Homestead, Florida tomorrow in the middle of the afternoon for this uh, Ford Championship weekend down there. So, what do you think the chances are? Well, my chances of winning the championship in, in uh, cup side are nil. You know, we've uh, let ourselves get behind here. We're going to have to put that off to next year. But uh, we're in the catbird seat on the uh, nationwide uh, side with uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Well, that's good. That's good news. Well, since I have you on the air, this is what I would like to talk about, and I'm sure you'd enjoy a little of this because I've had a number of uh, requests, is let's talk about the early days a little bit, how you came to become truly interested and passionate about racing and how you got in the car business. Well, as a matter of necessity, I was raised in the farm country in southern Ohio down uh, between uh, Cincinnati, between uh, between uh, Maysville, Kentucky, and Portsmouth, Ohio, on the Ohio side of the river. But spent part of the time in a little town called Manchester, and uh, and part of the time in an ancestral farm uh, about six miles uh, inland there from the river. But we uh, had a, had uh, 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 times were pretty tough. Uh, I uh, my cars that I, I assembled for uh, my driving in high school were both. Uh, I had two. I had a '51 Ford and a uh, and a '51 Plymouth. I wrecked the Ford uh, in a race with my buddy and one of the country roads down there. And uh, I, uh, I uh, assembled the, uh, the Plymouth uh, the next year, and I, it took me a little over a year to get my second car together. But by the time I was 22 years old, I graduated from college at Brea College, Brea, Kentucky. I put four big honking uh, V8 junkyard engines and little uh, six-cylinder cars and was on my way to, uh, to, to uh, satisfy my curiosity for speed and, uh, and how to put together combinations of things that, uh, that weren't native to one another. Did you have a uh, an, an allegiance to Ford or Plymouth or Chevrolet back in those days, or it didn't really matter? Or uh, it was just whatever was uh, available to me. Uh, I know I, I went to work for Ford Motor Company. I went to Brea College, Brea, Kentucky, from '60 through '64, and right out of college, I went to work for Ford and uh, drove to to uh, Detroit with a. Uh, uh, actually, I just uh, had bought a brand-new Mustang. They put the Mustang on the market about 60 days before I graduated from uh, from Bria, and I had m- saved enough money. had worked all the way through school uh, built, repairing bicycles and, and trading cars and doing things. So I had enough money when I graduated from college to buy myself a new Mustang, but it wasn't in yet. So 
the last thing I the, the car I had left that uh, from my, some of my trading and uh, my uh, my uh, uh, work was uh, a '54 Dodge that had belonged to a, a professor that had blown an engine up that I'd put a '50 '58 Dodge uh, Ram engine in, and uh, so I drove it to Detroit. It was another one of my junkyard cars, the last one that I had, and uh, stepped off. Uh, Went to right to work in the Ford uh, uh, Dearborn Assembly Plant building Mustangs. I was a uh, uh, quality engineer uh, doing the sample inspections, initial sample inspections on on parts for the Mustang plant. And uh, within 24 months of the time I uh, went to work for Ford, uh, I joined a group called the Fastbacks, which were uh, a group of 10 Ford uh, employees, a nuclear physicist, a couple of person agents, a, uh, a, a marketing guy, uh, a production control fella, and uh, some other lab technicians. And anyway, we were drag racing uh, all over the country with uh, support from a local dealer, Star Kiki West at Grand River and Seven Mile there. And uh, so that really got me started. And I, I had a chance to learn a lot from those guys, and that really established the allegiance to Ford that, uh, that I've had uh, down through the, the last 45 years. When you um, first started at Ford, so when you were on, you were working in the engineering department. So you were basically quality testing, or were you actually involved in some of the design of some of the parts that went into the the Mustang? Well, initially, I worked in what they called uh, quality surveillance, and whenever a vendor, uh, most of the, of the components for the cars would come from vendors: uh, the instrument panel, the seats, the uh, the, the chrome parts. Uh, those would be vendor parts. The, Parts that uh, that the Ford made were the axle, the uh, the transmission, the engine, the body, and uh, and of course they assembled the whole thing. But uh, for all the parts that went into the plant, if they were new parts from a new vendor or whatever, you'd have to do initial sample inspection, which was an engineering kind of a job. Make sure they fit the tools, tooling. Make sure the tests that they were required to 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 validate uh, had been passed, and then uh, then of course uh, after you got the parts in the plant. Uh, the plant would occasionally have trouble with something that didn't fit or that the color wasn't right uh, or that uh, was some quality issue with. And then I would do, uh, uh, in, addition to, in addition to the initial inspections, I would come back then and go to plants all over the country and, and check the parts that, uh, that were given the problems in the, plant, in the Ford plant. I'd check them in the manufacturing plant and find out if they, if they again, had the right quality uh, assurance and how the, how the problem had occurred. So it was a quality a surveillance uh, inspection kind of a job, not a design job initially. Interesting. So let's just say you were out in California at the San Jose plant, or you might have been. Uh, let's see, where else was there a plant? Was there one in? De- was there one up in? Um, I'm trying to think. There was three plants that built must. Oh, Mutuchen, Mutuchen in New Jersey. So if you were working on the Mustang assembly plant, did you notice any differences in terms of? Uh, quality issues, fit and finish issues, and stuff like that between the San Jose built cars, the New Jersey built cars, versus the Detroit built cars. I never had them uh, where I could uh, park them side by side and really inspect them. Uh, I, I was uh, concerned more with the quality of the components went into okay. the cars rather than the fit and finish uh, of the cars. But you know, the, the Mustang was in such demand. Uh, you know, initially the the uh, the Dearborn assembly plant uh, was going uh, three shifts a day, and uh, then the other plants were just just everything that uh, they could produce was uh, was going flying off the, the showroom floor as soon as it was uh, parked there. Now, this club that you belong to, the Fastback, so would that be kind of like uh, like Chrysler had the Ram Chargers, so you were kind of like the, the Fastbacks? Would that be kind of a fair analogy? The Ram, uh, Yes, it, it is a fair analogy. The Ram Chargers raced uh, altered cars and funny cars 
you know, alcohol and uh, and uh, uh, really high performance uh, uh, cars that uh, that were more uh, inclined or involved with match racing and they were class racing. Um, the guys that I were with were racing initially NHRA legal stock cars, stock class cars, B stock car, and a, uh, a D stock Mustang. And then they, uh, then we had super stock cars, uh, 427 Fairlanes and uh, 428 Cobra Jets. The uh did you back in those days? If you were a Ford guy, and let's say the Ram Chars were Chrysler, and then of course Chevrolet had, Chevrolet had their guys, and then Pontiac had their guys. Did you guys all kind of fraternize together? Were you all just car guys? Uh, oh, no, no, there, there was no love loss between the, oh, really? uh, the, 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 the the various teams uh, in the various uh, uh, various company affiliations. I was really conflicted for a while. I uh, I, I worked for Ford for five years, got a master's degree. And had myself organized to get out of the plant, uh, out of the plant uh, inspection and quality work, and go work on research. I wanted to work on a scientific laboratory in Dearborn, and uh, Ford denied me the the chance to uh, to transfer because they said that they had plans for me as a manufacturing engineer, manufacturing uh, plant engineer, or or a uh, engineering manager for uh, for the engineering side, or uh, even a production manager. They said that they were going to advance me in the in the plant and that, that would be a good life for me but i'd uh save my money from the time i was 11 years old to get ready to go to college and uh had worked uh of course through uh, the bachelor program at Berea and a uh, master's program at eastern michigan and uh, i was uh, not willing to trade the potential i thought i had for a manufacturing job and uh, at, at any level so i quit uh, ford in in 70 and went to work for chrysler for a year and that was uh, the damnedest thing that uh, ever did. You know, I was racing against the Chrysler factory cars and all the, the clubs and the things they had going on and uh, with my Ford buddies, and then I was going to work with uh, with the guys uh, in, in Chrysler Engineering. I, I had a research job that the kind of which, the like of which Ford had denied me. They, they let me work in an area called advanced development that where I worked on a lot of really exciting things. But I, uh, I I couldn't reconcile the uh, the conflict in my uh, my competitive efforts, so I only did that for a year, and then I uh, started my business with Wayne Gap, and uh, and uh, I actually taught junior college in Monroe County Community College for three years while we were getting the business going on its feet. In the uh, the scientific department or the research, the R and D, was it all automotive related, or was it stuff outside automotive that you would have had the opportunity to kind of re- do some research with? No, it was all automotive, okay. and uh, the, the research activity had to do with turbocharging, supercharging, catalytic converters, uh, uh, something called Proco, a stratified charge, you know, a lot of the things that, uh, that have been uh, included in the, the uh, engines of today were just uh, on the horizon there, and I, I wanted to be involved with that. And, of course, when Ford denied me and then I rejected uh, the, the Chrysler opportunities after a year, I was out on my own. Now, it's funny, and you mentioned Wayne Gap. Now, that, that was a pretty successful racing team you had there from 70 on up. Now, did Wayne Gap, did he also work at Ford with you? Yeah, you know, the, the, right at the end of my fastbacks time, it was from 1966 to 1970. Right at the end of that, uh, 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 the fastbacks interest had, had uh, dwindled. We'd lost people, and there was only three or four of us that were left by 1970. And uh, and and some of those guys were were uh, were actually losing interest as well. So I was faced with one friend, Al Buckmaster, that was really the uh, holding up the fastbacks. And uh, Wayne Gap was with a fellow by the name of Bill Jamison, 
was racing uh, uh, on the East Coast in a bunch of, uh, of uh, like the against the Ram Chargers kind of cars, injected uh, funny car, uh, fiberglass bodied things. AFXs. Uh, doing a lot of match racing as well, some class racing, but mostly match racing like uh, like the Ram Chargers. And uh, Wayne was uh, working for a, a, a Ford, an activity within Ford that was developing the Boss Ford 29 engine for uh, for the... Uh, for, for NASCAR uh, in 69 and 70, uh, the, the, the Boss 429 was, all that work was, development work was being done in Dearborn, and he was, uh, he was an engineer on that project. And uh, they had, uh, his management had uh, decided that uh, they weren't going to let engineers uh, that were involved with the racing program have race cars of their own or drive race cars. Uh, they saw a conflict of interest there, so Wayne needed somebody to drive his uh, his his. What, what he was the change he was getting ready to make was uh, NHRA legal pro stock type cars. The the altered cars were were being uh, reined in in terms of uh, their, their dimensions and some of the the outrageous uh, uh, configurations they had. So they were pulling them in and to uh, to fit rules, kind of like NASCAR does for stock car racing. They were NHRA was doing that with the, the uh, with the funny cars, the older cars, and so they the class that they wound up uh, a, a suit and Wayne was uh, pro stock, which was the uh, next activity above the super stock uh, racing that I'd been doing. So Wayne and, and Bill need somebody to drive their car, and I was uh, at the at the end of my fastback thing. So Wayne and I made a partnership that was really really put together by Bill Jamison and Al Buckmaster, the two guys. That we're both uh, involved with our programs, uh, we're buddies, and they work together in the Ford lab. And uh, so they put Wayne and I together, and I drove Wayne's pro stock car for a period of time, and then we built cars ourselves. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, better cars and faster cars, and then we uh, Wayne did most of the driving, nearly all the driving. I did uh, very little of it. I, I raced a number of NHRA events, but I never won one. I finished second one time, but I never never actually won an event myself. Now, the, in those days, so what were your thoughts on the Boss 429? I mean, how much experience did you have with that motor? Because it was kind of short-lived. It was only 69, 70, 71, wasn't it? Uh, 69 and 70 were the production uh, car years. Right. They, they didn't do it in 71. And, and the only reason that uh, they had production cars was NASCAR required Ford to build 500 cars to be able to make the engine legal for uh, for stock car competition. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, there was actually a little bit fewer than a thousand cars of those cars that were built as street cars for the two years. Uh, we uh, we were Wayne and I were known. Uh, I was the assembler and and uh, kind of the, the development guy uh, on the ground, and Wayne was the engineer behind a lot of the pieces that uh, that were coming out of Ford. And uh, we were known as being uh, having a fair amount of expertise for that engine. The the thing that that uh, the NHRA did and the other sanctioning bodies did very quickly is they gave the Cleveland size and the three the, the small block Chevrolets. They gave them advantage over the over the bigger displacement uh, 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 larger engines. And uh, so we raced uh, we raced the Boss 429 their pro stock cars uh, uh, 70 and 71 and 72. And uh, by '73, we were we were 100 percent on uh, the Cleveland engines and and run uh, Pentos starting in '73 and and then uh, won a championship in '73 with the uh, with Pento against uh, Bill Jenkins in uh, in Amarillo, Texas. But the year before that, we won the uh, the AHRA championship with the Maverick. That was the uh, that was the uh, the the only championship we actually run with the Boss 429. What do you think had that motor survived? 
how do you think the the upside potential to that motor was the Boss 420? It happens to be my favorite motor, but because uh, I had a '69 Boss 420 Mustang. Ford Ford had a number of outrageous uh, engineering uh, initiatives that they did. Their Boss, uh, their their uh, their Le Mans engines in the '60s for the for the GT40 were uh, for the GT40 were uh, were pretty outrageous. The Boss 302 engines that they had for Trans Am were were in, in some ways. They were very specialized for the series they were running, and they weren't good overall, good all-around engines. The uh, the Blue Crescent, so-called Blue Crescent Boss uh, uh, 429, was the the bearings on it were a little larger than they needed to be for drag racing application. The crankshaft was heavier. Uh, it didn't oil itself as well at 9,000 RPM as it needed to. Uh, it was a compromise, but it was. Uh, the Boss 429 was organized to run from 6,500 to 7,500 in a NASCAR track, and when you got to operating it on a drag race track, uh, then some of the components were too heavy, and some of the uh, systems in it didn't work as well as, uh, as as either the Chrysler Hemi or as the other. But we we found ways to crutch them up and uh, and and made a good accounting of ourselves, but uh, with that engine. But it was uh, it was really not a what I'd say a superior engine. The the Cleveland engine was. That we raced in the Pentos was a better all-around engine, and of course it wound up. Uh, we raced them in in uh, six in seventy, seventy-five, uh, seventy starting in seventy-three, won the championship in seventy-three and seventy-four with the Cleveland, and uh, of course Wayne and I uh, dissolved our our partnership in seventy-five, late seventy-five, seventy early seventy-six. We were both out on our own. But uh, that that Cleveland engine survived uh, two decades. You know, we still run a variant of the Cleveland uh, uh, from a concept point of view. Uh, well, we ran it right up until we we initiated the uh, introduced the FR9 with with Ford's initiatives and with Doug Yates's involvement. The FR9 is a departure from the Cleveland, but the Cleveland engine had been the stable of of Ford uh, NASCAR from '73 through. Or from Ford, from Ford Racing from '73 through uh, uh, through uh, through uh, 2000 and uh, 2008 or nine. The in, on the Clevelands, um, and I used to drag race and street race those back in the days too. Uh, you guys came out with the ingenious race port head because there was a. In typical Ford fashion, and we never did understand why, but it was explained to me once that, well, the reason the ports were kind of goofy on a, on a Ford as opposed to a Chevrolet, you know, it's the way the exhaust went out. It kind of went up, hit the roof, and then came back down at an angle where a Chevrolet just shoots straight out. But your race port head design was very similar to that, so the exhaust would get out there very quick. What what kind of research led to that? Well, you know, we, we were aware, I, I was aware through my involvement with Al Buckmaster, uh, who worked the Scilab, that the uh, that the reason that the Ford had that goofy exhaust system layout was just to uh, clear the spring towers and the uh, and the coil uh, the coil over uh, shock towers uh, in the Mustang, right? Shock towers that you had in the Mustang based right. on the way they had the springs uh, located on the thing. The spring was on the, on top of the upper control arm, and uh, so anyway, uh, that required uh, not, that limited the amount of distance you had uh, for the for the cylinder heads and for the exhaust system, and so in order to uh, to contain that. They put that turn in the exhaust port in the cylinder head so that it would turn down and it wouldn't be as wide as if it were uh, further up than the 90-degree bank angle that the uh, cylinders were laid out on. So it was it was a natural thing for me to for for me to look at you know milling off the part of the port that uh, that turned down and replacing it with a 
with a uh, bolt-on or a, 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 a aluminum casting that uh, that would carry the port uh, more in, in a more conventional angle for the way the other engines uh, would normally be designed. Later, did you redesign? Have somebody redesign the heads and cast them that way? Uh, or, or did you always Ford, run that? Ford took a hiatus from uh, from from racing involvement and encouraging uh, their products uh, to be motorsports oriented or performance oriented from 1971 to 1979 Ford was not really didn't have any interest in, in performance uh, uh, image of their cars and uh, and and uh, had really turned their back on NASCAR and NHRA and, and all the teams that were that were trying to operate Fords at that time but in 1979, uh, Walter Hayes, uh, a vice president from uh, from uh, Ford of England, and a fellow by the name of Michael Cranifus, a uh, German, uh, came over. Uh, they both worked for Ford. They came over and uh, and tried to rekindle the dealer interest. They took the '79 uh, uh, Mustang uh, Fox platform, the first year for the Fox platform Mustang. They took it to the to Indianapolis as a pace car. I, I was a vendor, uh, an engineering vendor for Ford at the time, and I got the job of upgrading the brakes and upgrading the suspension and making the engine so that it would do the job they wanted to do, the 5-liter engine. So I built those uh, those pace cars in 79, and, and right on the heels of that, uh, Cranifus and, uh, and Walter Hayes uh, came to me and asked me if I could uh, help them uh, define some parts that would be good for NASCAR, and one of the first things we did was take my cylinder heads and the castings, and uh, and, and the uh, casting that raised the exhaust port, and convert that into aluminum casting that became the uh, the early uh, uh, early uh, Cleveland uh, type NASCAR cylinder head. Would you say that the symmetrical port design heads, as in the case of a Cleveland and a Ford on both sides, is flows better than that of the Chevrolet? Because the Chevrolet, you know how they had the, the two inside ports are kind of like side by side. I mean, or is there? Do you think yeah, it, those are called the those uh, the the ones for the exhaust ports together, or the, for that matter, for the intake ports together, are called uh, are uh, called uh, Siamese, or not Siamese, but what are they called? Um, you, you've got. I, I forget the name of them. I thought I thought it was right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, but at any rate, you've got two left-handed and two right-handed uh, uh, ports per or cylinders per per cylinder head. And the Ford uh, left side cylinder head is the same as the right side cylinder head. And uh, and all the uh, the alignment of the valves intake and exhaust is the same through all the cylinders. Um, you know, we looked at that. Uh, when we did the FR9 design, and, and I was actually a proponent of making the mirror image combustion chambers. That's what I meant to say, mirror, mirror. image combustion okay. chambers on, uh, on on for two cylinders on one way and two cylinders the other way on a given cylinder head. And uh, uh, Doug Yates talked me out of it. He said that he thought that there was more problems coming from the for the cooling uh, issues, uh, the water flow issues around the exhaust port. That that was a a, a compromise in the head like that that we didn't have with our Fords, and he decided that uh, or he won the uh, he made the point that that's what we needed to do, and uh, so that's the way it was. Uh, Chevrolet initially uh, with with the uh, the previous uh, uh, configuration engine that they had uh, post uh, in 1993. Uh, uh, Bill France decided that he was going to stop everybody from welding on the engines, welding on the cylinder heads. Everybody had a cylinder head that was a trick cylinder head, and it took a, a, a you know a real inspired.
hard guy to be able to create a craftsman to create one of these cylinder heads, and he said he wanted to stop all the welding, all the the, uh, the recreation of the parts that were to the teams were doing, and he wanted the manufacturers to to, uh, to to submit a cylinder head, have it approved, and then you couldn't weld on it, you couldn't raise the port or move the valves or move the spark plugs or any of that. So anyway, uh, Chevrolet came out with a mirror image uh, a sonar head uh, arrangement with two left-sided and two right-sided uh, uh, sonars on on each uh, on each bank, and uh, with uh, intake and exhaust valve layouts. And Ford uh, did you know the, the same. Uh, the Ford was a variant of the of the Cleveland head that uh, that was a, a, an ancestor or a, a uh, an heir to the uh, to the Highport uh, cast iron Cleveland heads that we'd had, and. Uh, so anyway, Chevrolet uh, uh, got that approved, and then uh, after we had continued to have what they thought was more success with our uh, with our cylinder head uh, that that didn't have the exhaust ports together in the middle, uh, they uh, they they got an approval eventually and redesigned the uh, redesigned the head and reintroduced something that had the uh, that had the uh, the Ford kind of a layout uh, for intake and exhaust. Uh, Toyota and Chrysler, on the other hand, had the uh, sonar heads laid out with the uh, exhaust valves together. Oh, interesting. Let's back up a bit. The Tijuana Taxi, tell us how that car came to fruition and how come it only raced for one year? Or was it a year and a half, something like that? that was uh, late. We, we raced it for two years. Two years, okay. The, the thing that wound up happening in 74, you know, we uh, Wayne and I and, and Bob Glidden were, were racing uh, Pintos that had 94-inch wheelbase mm-hmm. and big buck uh, Camaros. Uh, uh, Chevy twos that Bill Jenkins had, and the Chevrolet guys that followed him around was a 95 or 96 inch wheelbase, and uh, not Chevy twos, but Vegas they were, mm-hmm. and uh, the Chevy two was a longer wheelbase. But at any rate, uh, the, the guys with the uh, 108 inch wheelbase uh, Camaros and 108 inch Dusters and and Darts, the Dodges, they all said that the Ford had the advantage because the wheelbase was shorter, and uh, the the uh, they would. The, the longer wheelbase cars would tend to pick up the rubber off the starting line and make rocks, uh, make a rock patch for themselves and lay down rubber that the shorter wheelbase cars could take advantage of. So they decided that uh, shorter uh, wheelbase cars had to carry more weight than the uh, by three tenths of a pound per cubic inch or so than the uh, than the 108 inch wheelbase car. So uh, uh, Glidden and, uh, and and Don Nicholson, Bob Glidden and Don Nicholson, both got 70 Mustangs which had a 108 inch wheelbase. And Wayne and I looked at that and said, well, a 70 Mustang in 74 was four years old, and we didn't know if we wanted to uh, look back or build a car that was that old. We'd rather have a brand-new car. And the Maverick, we had a smaller windshield, made a smaller hole, uh, punched a smaller hole in the air as it went through. So we said a Maverick is, is a choice for us. Only problem was uh, a, uh, a two-door Maverick was 105 inches, and a four-door Maverick was 110 inches, so it was actually two inches longer than the the benefit of the uh, of the uh, Camaro and the benefit given to the Camaro and the Duster. And so we we took a position that says, well, we'll just be quiet about the fact that this thing has got a smaller uh, profile for the for going through the wind. But it uh, will if you, if you think that if if the competitors thought and been lobbying for the fact that the reason the Fords were faster was because they had this short wheelbase. We'll just uh, spot you two inches and go race you with something that's a 110-inch wheelbase, and uh, and and you can have your 108s. And uh, for two years, uh, I think we were, I think we were in in all the the final uh, final uh, uh, races at uh, all the national events, but maybe two or three. 
That was a pretty competitive car. It was very popular oh, it, back then. It was dominant. Yeah. But the thing about it was that that engine was that Ford Cleveland engine was the secret. It had bigger in, bigger intake ports and had a canted uh, intake valve arrangement. It uh, the cylinder head on that engine was the key to it, and it wasn't the wheelbase uh, at all that was a factor. So the, when we uh, first time we raced the car, it had blue and white paint on it, and somebody uh, one of the news writers looked at it and says, "You know that looks like a Tijuana taxi." <laughs> and uh, and that the name stuck from that point on. That's great. Now, when did you make the transition to Trans Am racing? That was in the early '80s too, right? And why did you go from drag racing to Trans Am? That's a complete departure. I mean, well, I, I drag raced, and then uh, I uh, raced with Wayne Gap. And then uh, then we broke our partnership up in '76, and I, I started uh, making the most of my engineering business, working uh, initially for American Motors on projects and later for Ford and, uh, and Chrysler and General Motors, all three. Uh, or I had all four of them, but uh, Gen- or, uh, American Motors went broke, and then there were just three. But at any rate, I had all that going on, and I said, rather than do this uh, drag racing thing and own race teams, I'll just uh, make the most of my engineering business. That's my future. And when Ford came back and wanted me to do the pace car, that started. Uh, I started down the slippery slope. Then they wanted me to come back and help them design the cylinder block and the uh, cylinder head, uh, for the NASCAR things, that got me a little further. And then the, the the first thing that Walter Hayes and Michael Cranifus did is they wanted to bring in some of the European uh, road racing expertise that the, they'd had experience with over in Germany and England and France, and uh, they wanted me to help with that. So uh, they asked me to help uh, a German team, uh, 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 Zakowski, uh, Eric Zakowski's team that he brought over, and... Uh, and and uh, and and some other uh, folks. Well, and the Trans Am folks in the United States here. Uh, uh, Lynn St. James, a female driver, was driving a uh, a uh, Kelly uh, a Kelly Services car, Kelly Girl car, and uh, and, and uh, there was a, a son of a Arizona governor. I've forgotten his name. That uh, that was driving a Trans Am car, and so Ford had agreed to give them support. Uh, before they inv- asked me to be involved, then they asked me to build engines for them. And uh, very quickly, the teams were, didn't do what they were needing to do, or didn't do what they were sa- had told Ford they could do. And they blamed me for 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 not giving them an engine that was enough to over- overcome their own problems, and with either the car's design or their own limitations from a driving point of view. So I uh, I-, I thought about that and said I've either got to stop racing because it's bad reputation for my building uh, race engines for Trans Am and, and, and road racing. I've got to stop doing that because it's bad for my engineering business, or I need to come back and design a car and to, to build a car that, uh, that would be competitive in those series and demonstrate to Ford how it could be done. But uh, I was not a road racer either, but I, I, I contacted a, a fellow by the name of Bill Riley, or Bob Riley, rather, builds his son that builds the road race cars today, contacted Bob Riley and got him uh, moved over from one area of, of, of truck engineering at Ford. He was a fellow that had done uh, design work for A.J. Foyt at Indy and a number of other things for road racers. <clears throat> so I got him involved and, and uh, with SVO, with Cranifus, and I got uh, uh, some guys from uh, Novi, Michigan, that had been building road race cars and put together a, 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 a program of, of a, a current brand-new car design, refined the engine a little bit, and, and built a, a new uh, chassis uh, that would be uh, competitive in Trans Am and, and IMSA. 
and went out for 16 years and won uh, uh, 48 percent of the races we entered. That was but super. It, it was it was not my intention to do that. It was it started off as a as a requirement from Ford to uh, to support their road racers and my embarrassment of the fact that they uh, that I was being blamed for their own ineptitude that I I really got involved. Okay, and then you made the transition to NASCAR. How'd that happen? Well, Ford was faced with a problem with the, with the uh, with the uh, Elliotts, uh, the Elliott brothers uh, NASCAR team, where if things went well for them, they would uh, not tell the other NASCAR teams what they were doing, and if things went bad for them, they would blame Ford for not helping them more. <laughs> and Ford finally got uh, disgusted with that in 1987. Asked me since things were going so well with the Trans Am and with the uh, engineering work that I'd been doing. Asked me if I would uh, if I would take some of their money. They offered me a million dollars to start a NASCAR team, which it didn't take as much money. It uh, didn't take a tenth of them of what it does today. And uh, and I, I had some money that I'd made and uh, that I didn't have to put roofs on buildings with or put uh, fixed potholes in driveways with. So I had uh, had I had about a three million dollar war chest, and uh, and the Stroh Brewing Company step raised their hand and said that they'd like to get on board early. And so I had enough money uh, to start with, uh, with the Ford money and the Stroh money, to, to race for, for two and a half or three years if I didn't find any more sponsorship. I found, Wayne, I found uh, uh, Mark Martin, uh, had a chance to, I had a chance to, had conversations with Rusty Wallace, had conversations with Bobby Allison, had com- conversations with, uh, with Jeff Bodine and Kenny Schrader and Mark Martin. And I built some engines for Mark for an ASA car and it looked like that he was... Uh, he was really uh, had a great potential, and uh, Bobby Allison was uh, all dug in. He was the guy who really wanted to drive my trans my NASCAR car. But Bobby Allison said that he thought he would stay with the East Coast team that he was involved with, the Stavolas, till he retired. They were giving him a free hand on what he could do with the team and and all the technology that went into the cars and things. He said he thought he would uh, he would just stay there with that. But he gave me a recommendation that uh, the Mark Martin was a young man that uh, that I should uh, I should get involved with. So I took Mark and uh, and and uh, hired uh, Robin Pemberton to be a crew chief and a fellow by the name of Steve Meal that was involved with uh, with uh, Richard Petty uh, to be involved as as a general manager and and really started my NASCAR team without much. I did it almost exactly like I did the road racing, where I didn't know much about what was there, but I had an understanding of what the elements needed to be. And uh, as I looked at looking from the from from road racing to NASCAR, I said I don't really know a bunch about this. I need to get people involved that have got some experience and some judgment, and then then learn from them as we as we build the thing. And uh, so that was 1988, and uh, here we're 25 years later. We're still doing it, you know. Now, of all the series of racing, the drag racing, the Trans Am racing, and we got a few minutes left. We got about three minutes left. But in drag racing, the road racing, and then the NASCAR, are you most comfortable with the NASCAR right now? And is it is it mainly a business thing, or do you still kind of miss the and you know the the drag racing and, and road racing days? I like I like the competitive side of business, and I like the competitive side of of, of, of motorsport or automotive things. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the NASCAR has had the best business proposition. There's there's more interest. There's more TV. There's more fans. There's more uh, more races races to go to. It has got the best business proposition of all, and that's the reason I've camped there. 
Oh, with well, the reason we stopped road racing eventually was Ford had, had sponsored me for the 16 years. Been my with Lincoln Mercury and Ford had been my sponsor, and they got themselves to a point that we'd won so many races that there was an expectation that we could win. We should win, and they told me that uh, there was an embarrassment that uh, that if we didn't win, that they couldn't mitigate by by winning the next one because we were expected to win no matter what, just because of the way uh, the success we'd had. Wow. And uh, so, so it wasn't for lack of of, uh, of interest on my part. I, I enjoyed the 24-hour races and the endurance races of road racing more than I do the uh, some, some of the pomp and circumstance that goes with NASCAR today. Okay. What about the politics and 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 uh, NASCAR versus, let's say, like road racing? Well, as the money increases, as the uh, every one of my every one of my NASCAR cars has got a hundred people that stand behind them. To take care of the engineering, the marketing, all the things that are involved to get the car at the racetrack. There's a hundred people with three with three uh, with three competitive cars. There's 300 people that work on those cars around them. And with the road racing, the number was about uh, was about 10 per car, or maybe 15 per car. And with the with the drag racing, I did that before that. There was uh, at the most there was five per car. Wow. So as you step that up, you get more politics and you have more things beyond your control. It's less pure sport and more uh, uh, marketing and entertainment, you know. Uh, a question I always had, and, and I've asked, uh, Robert Yates has been on our show, Bud Moore's been on the show, Lee Holman, and a couple other people. And, you know, from a Ford guy's perspective, it always seems like Ford was the underdog in NASCAR. You know, I mean, it seems like you come up with something really cool, and then we get, you know, they 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 rule us out of competition, so to speak. And I know we only have like a minute or so left, but is there some validity to that, or am I, is it just the Ford guy's oh, imagination? Uh, you could go back and say that you know that I've got a, a, a prejudiced opinion based on the fact that I've I've got an affiliation with Ford. But when Ford stepped away from NASCAR in 1971, it left a huge hole. Holman Moody had left a huge uh, footprint. And they left a huge hole when Ford just backed away. And Bill France Jr. never really forgave Ford, as seen by me. And uh, when Ford came back, uh, there was with suspicion that they would leave one day. And then when it looked like they wouldn't leave, uh, uh, it was my it's my opinion that NASCAR made sure that uh, Ford never had an advantage over the Chevrolet and the uh, and 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 only Dodge, which had had Dodge stepped away as well. Hmm. And and Chevrolet stepped away at, at a point in time uh, earlier, but they had, did not have the size footprint, and they had, did not have the uh, the the NASCAR racing uh, teams was not as dependent for hardware and for direction as it was as they were for Ford. So when Ford stepped away, it left a scar on Bill France Sr. Uh, that uh, that Bill France Jr. Uh, 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 carried forward into 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 all of his life really. Hmm. And uh, I stopped short of saying that Ford was ever really, uh, there was a prejudiced position uh, against Ford to keep him down, but uh, Ford was never given an opportunity to ever get uh, half, half, uh, half a foot length uh, in front of technolo- technologically or, or otherwise that, uh, for any support that, or any involvement NASCAR can have. Uh, Ford was never uh, never the darling of, mm. the, of the day. Well, Jack, I want to thank you very much for taking some time out, and I know you're real busy. I wish you the best of luck this weekend. Anyway, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. My guest this evening was the legendary Jack Rouse. They'll be racing at Homestead. I wish them the best of luck. They're not in contention this year, but next year hopefully they'll win. And meanwhile, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family, and uh, tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week. 
WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. KLRG, Sheridan, Little Rock. And FM 94.5, K233BF, Little Rock.